Assalamu alaikum, everyone. My name is Muhyib Waja, and you're listening to the Muslim Philanthropy Podcast. Uh, today on the show, we are blessed to have Janelle Fatiha, who is the Executive Director of the Surya An Foundation. Uh, she holds her bachelor's in psychology and criminology from the University of Oklahoma. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Uh, so just as we do, would love to just uh, learn more about you uh, and hear about your experience growing up uh, and walk us through what that looks like, where, you know, where you went to school, why you chose psychology and criminology, give us all the nitty gritty there, uh, and then we'll walk into your career as well. Sure, sounds good. So I grew up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. My parents divorced when I was in second grade. And um, I mean, just to fast forward, that is what started moving me towards psychology is the need for counseling and the trauma of living with divorced parents. And um, especially for the children and everything they go through when divorce happens, if it is a necessary thing, how can we reduce the trauma for all of those involved? And so that's that's what led me on that path. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, the is never an easy path or decision to make uh, lightly. Um, and you know, I've had to go to therapy for myself, uh, but never under that circumstance. But as somebody who has been divorced. Um, just kind of walking through those steps and decisions. And I know those things don't come lightly, mm -hmm. um, but I think that psychology has, um, and understanding human psychology has provided me with a lot of um, insight as a fundraiser um, and also just somebody who is, you know, a student of life in general, um, understanding different psyches and motivations and um, probably some of the my own favorite courses in undergrad were in psychology as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, growing up, were you in, uh, do you have any siblings? Yes, actually. Um... Uh, with my parents before they divorced, I had one younger brother, and then uh, both of my parents remarried. And from my mother, I have another uh, sister and brother. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, so now a dynamic family. Yeah. Um, and then were you the oldest then? Yeah. I am the oldest. Uh, uh, I still have a. My sister and my brother, my brother that was three years younger than me, him and my niece, actually, I mean, this is really deep, but they passed away oh, about uh, 12 years ago in a house fire. And then um, my sister, she's nine years younger than me. And then my brother, who is 19 years younger than me, uh, is autistic. And we're super happy for him. He just graduated high school this year, and he has just finished his first successful semester of college. Wow, that is really <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, what is he hoping to do? I know it's probably pretty early for a freshman to kind of decide that, but what is he leaning towards? Uh, he's really 
smart and technical minded. And so something with math and I'm assuming um, computers or something will probably be his strength. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and I appreciate you sharing more about your, your family. I know some of these conversations aren't necessarily the easiest to um, share and um, but know that there's a lot of um, sympathy and well wishes for for you through through that. Um, I wanted to just kind of get a sense of did you also grow up in the Oklahoma area? I did. Um, when my parents divorced, they moved cities. And so I was split between the Oklahoma City area and the Tulsa area. And I would travel back and forth. I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, but it's maybe a three hour drive. Oh, wow. And so splitting my time between both families has been, I mean, it's pretty much a big, a huge part of my childhood and growing up is driving and making that drive and splitting my time between my two families as equally as possible. Yeah. Um, and then I would imagine like growing up and going to school, um, like that must have also been challenging as well to um, be on the road a lot too. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest things with dealing whenever we think of the trauma of divorce and all of the levels that it affects children. We don't think of all of those. And I mean, that's one of them. As a young child, you're looking into the audience to see who's attended my award ceremony or who's at my basketball game. And when you're split between two cities and you're looking out in the crowd, you know, if especially if your parents are working, um, it's, it's a lot more difficult to travel so far away. And so, uh, to attend those things and to make sure that you're giving your child everything that you can give it, it a level of difficulty is added there. Mm -hmm. uh, what were some of those extracurricular activities that you enjoyed? I played basketball um, and volleyball. <laughs> those are one of my two favorites that I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I never played um, actively either of those sports in for the, school teams but enjoyed playing them outside of that like in recreationally um but I did tennis in high school uh and then when I got to college played rugby so oh wow okay no my son plays football and I've tried to steer him to basketball so many times he won't but rugby I, that's a that's a tough sport too right I enjoyed it it was yeah, definitely full contact but a lot of fun yeah um, I think having played like backyard football, uh, that was like the most similar thing because we didn't wear any pads or do anything, but had fun yeah. playing. So yeah, that's my son. He loves football and he plays football. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. Um, you know, once you got to college, tell us a little bit more about your time at University of Oklahoma. When I started the University of Oklahoma, I was for sure that psychology was going to be um, my major, and that was the direction I was going. And I started taking um, more like social work related classes and things like that. And that's how I ended up going the criminology route as well as because I started seeing the different levels of how to help people and the issues that are impacting people in their lives. And so um I ended up doing splitting into doing two majors with the psychology and criminology. Um, college was fun. I loved it. Uh, 
student organizations. I was a uh, participated in the Muslim Student Association. Mm-hmm. Um, I got married in college. Okay. Uh, and then I was able to graduate, and I loved it. Um, as soon as I graduated, I joined uh, the Office of Juvenile Affairs, okay. and I started my career working with youth. Um, the Office of Juvenile Affairs, I specifically worked at a juvenile detention facility, and I worked with boys, children, uh, ages 8 to 19. 19 is kind of pushing it, because once they hit that age, they might be switched over to the prison system. Yeah. Um, I loved the work I did. I loved the young boys that I worked with and helping them and trying to help them. Some of them had really tough lives, uh, things that I can't even imagine ever experiencing and trying to help guide them uh, and into successful young men after they leave the program. Mm -hmm. Um, Not sure. Um, I think one of the most impactful things I had during that time is I got a phone call from one of he was a young man whenever he called back and he wanted to ask me how to cook something mm-hmm. um, because of he was going to have guests over and he needed to know how to cook a meal properly. And so over the phone, talked him through how to cook a meal. He had a successful wow. dinner and uh, it was, I think looking back, that was one of the most impactful things was knowing that he had left our program. Mm-hmm. He was in college at that time and he was nervous about you know, just normal things that, that happen in life and people were coming over and he needed to know how to cook, but he didn't have that experience because he grew up in the juvenile detention facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Was this like a state program or a separate nonprofit? No, this was state programming. Uh, This is juvenile delinquents and youthful offenders. Mm -hmm. And so that's typically once they hit 19, they're either aged out or bridged over to prison. So I was right there in that developmental time. Yeah. And then are you pretty much like a case manager, almost working as a social worker, or is it separate? Yes. um, I was on, like, technical terms, I was on unit. Like, I worked directly with the boys, helped them, did group therapy with them, made sure they got to class, interact. I mean, I... I hate to say it this way, but it's like the parent away from the parent. Mm. You work directly with them every day. I mean, that's, they're away from home. They're in a a facility. And so the adults on shift are, it's their parents for the time being. Yeah. And I mean, it's great that this student then who graduated from your program almost, you know, sort of say felt comfortable enough calling back to the office and you helping them in that way uh, for, for that meal. Uh, Yeah. Shows the connections that you were able to build and hopefully the impact that you were able to have as well. Yeah. I missed my time there. Actually, um, the state ended up shutting down that program. And so that's whenever I took two years off with my children, I have, Mm -hmm. uh, four children ages 13 to six. So I took two years off and focused on my, uh, babies at that time. Yeah. And then uh it was time for me to get busy again and uh put my applications out there. And that's when I discovered the Soraya Ann Foundation. Oh wonderful. Uh and uh as I recall the Soraya Ann Foundation helps families um coming back into society after incarceration. Is that correct? It's a mixture. Uh-huh. Um that is one of the aspects of it. 
another one and the one that I hold dear to me is women and children experiencing divorce as well okay. or fleeing domestic violence or um, needing to apply for disability. We were the Syrian Foundation serves everybody. It's one of the things I really liked whenever I found them. But primarily, their focus is the Muslim population in Tulsa that okay. doesn't fit into other programming in Tulsa. Sure. Um, when I started, I started part time and we had, let me see, I think we had four apartments at that time. Um, I had a the uh, elderly lady. She was homeless and she needed to get on disability. I had a woman experiencing mental health crisis and needing to get through that. And then I did have um, the prison release. It's just a, a mixture of people. So you get to yeah. help anybody where they are in life to reach sustainable independence. Um, and I loved it. I don't know. I'll be celebrating 10 years with this foundation January 1st. Oh, wow. That is <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, and we uh, went from doing four apartments to now uh, we were able to build our own apartment complex. It's only eight, so it's not huge. It's eight apartments, but um, they're ours and we have our office. And it's exciting because I don't. we get to safely house in a comfortable housing situation. And we have group therapy, therapy, hygiene, food. Comfort, I mean, everything is just right here. It's almost like you're curating your own community experience for these families going through hardship. Yes. Yeah. And I, I would imagine the stability that the organization and you and your team are able to provide are insurmountable uh, in their experience to kind of get back on their feet. The goal is a holistic healing experience from all levels um, where they can feel safe, have their needs met, while they work towards whatever it is that they need, that's going to help them be sustainable after they leave. Yeah. If that looks like they need a better job than trying to find them the training that they need for that job, that's going to sustain them, not the part-time fast food job down the road that'll sure. hire them right now today. If they need six months training, then let's get them in that six months training. So when they leave, they can actually take care of themselves and take care of their children in a better I mean, if they need to leave work and go to their children and watch their basketball game, I want yeah. them to be able to do that. Sure. Um, typically, on average, how long do you see a family or individual staying with you in in the housing? So our program runs six months to two years. Mm -hmm. um, some some just require a lot more help than others. Um especially when you take in the legality things that we don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. We had a young woman who was applying for um, the violence, uh, vow of violence against women act. So her immigration status was tied to her husband. And so there was things outside of our control, getting her work permit, getting her green yeah. card, getting everything set up for her to be able to work and take care of herself and her children. It, it takes longer than somebody that I have that's already been in the Tulsa community and maybe already has an education, but just needs that safe place to land while they are able to get their savings up or um, pay off any debt or anything that's accrued so that that's keeping them from being able to apply for housing. Yeah. Um, so take us back to like January 1st, 2013, when, when you started here and kind of 
how the organization has grown and changed uh, in that 10 years. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, at that time, four apartments, um, I was only part-time. And so we were renting apartments out of an apartment complex. Mm -hmm. So like the difficulty of that is we're renting the apartments under the foundation's name. And of course the apartment complex is like, well, who's going to be in there? Have you done background checks and trying to like yeah. protect the confidentiality and dignity of our client without sharing their information to other people and giving them the best service possible. But also the apartments. Um, I mean, what we could afford at the time was not the best apartment complex, uh, oh. but it's what we had and it's what we did. And um, so at that time, maybe four and if they have children, maybe four, 15 people a year. Uh, since then, though, um, since then growing and being able to build our own apartments, I now house uh, between 20 and 30 people a year in our apartments. Wow. But outside of that, and now we're actually able to offer the group therapy and the individual therapy and connect them to, um, I'm so excited our mosque just opened a uh clinic so they can see mm -hmm. um people needing medical needs once yeah. a week every sunday they're doing that so we're able to just encompass everything that they need and making those um building those relationships for the best service possible for our clients but also um one of the biggest things i really like now is we have uh our bill assistance program to try to maintain housing without ever experiencing homelessness so do they need help with rent? Do they need those connections? Let's see what we can do before they become homeless. Right. Um, and then when was the Sorayan Foundation founded? 2008. Okay. So mm -hmm. it had been around for five to six years um, by the time you had joined. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the genesis of that, if you can share. Sure. Uh, before I joined, I mean, primarily it did start with the women saw these uh, Muslim prison women getting released and having nowhere to go. Um, and they started off renting one apartment with two bedrooms or four bedrooms. Like it was a split roommate situation where each would get a bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so it really has grown. It's grown from one apartment rent like just people staying in each individual bedroom to having their own apartment um and once they started that they realized they were getting also um requests from unfortunately women that were experiencing domestic violence yeah. and severe domestic violence and the women didn't want weren't comfortable going to the shelters that were available um and uh, that you know Tulsa's grown a lot since then and there are some really good organizations here that do cater to the Muslim population and you know watch for pork and all those things but at that time in 2008 it was a lot more difficult to find sure. a comfortable place um and then there's also the added you know protecting privacy and dignity the embarrassment of going to another organization and saying you know I'm Muslim and this is happening to me sure. and they felt like there's a responsibility to circle around our Muslim women and make sure that they're in a safe, comfortable environment and they're able to get those services that they need. Um, but, you know, we're here to take care of them and help them through this time. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's really where it came from. It was those two populations, um, the mm -hmm. 
the hope has always been to be able to help everybody and anybody that needs help though. Yeah. And then you'd mentioned, um, our mosque. So which mosque is it exactly in the community that, uh, has opened up the healthcare clinic? Oh, I'm excited. It's the Islamic society of Tulsa and they just opened their medical clinic. And so they do, um, I think every Sunday they have office hours now to see patients. Nice. Um, yeah, and you can now provide more of a holistic approach um, to all of the families. Um, yeah, getting medical, um, you know, there is the state insurance, which we we take advantage of for all of our clients that can qualify for it and, and mm-hmm. can take full advantage of it. But then we have some that can't. And sure. so trying to get them into those free clinics, I sat with a client for four hours in a free clinic to be told they didn't have time to see them and to come back in a week mm. and come back in a week and sit with them for four more hours to be told that they can't be seen. So then, um, you know, making the payments for them to just go to urgent care or to go to a doctor and those bills start to add up. They get of expensive. Course. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the most like critical wraparound services that um, you kind of see people needing help with, whether it's access to food or, obviously the shelter being a big one that you guys do provide. Um, but what additional things like job training you mentioned, and now the health clinic, uh, what are the main things that people need help with when they are, um, entering back into society? You know what, uh, transportation, Mm. there's the obvious medical, dental, eye, all that stuff, but Tulsa, Oklahoma, transportation is a big issue. If you're a single mom with four children and I give you a bus pass, you are going to spend the entire day on that bus to get to anything, grocery shopping, daycare, school, work. It's just not, it's not possible. So transportation is a big one. Um, Having your own car, having Mm -hmm. driving lessons. I have women that have never driven a car before and they need to be taught. How do I drive a car? Uh, And then all the costs that are just surrounded into that transportation it's really easy to say we'll just get him a bus pass but it's not that easy it's walking to the bus stop it's standing and waiting for the bus and getting your children on the bus it's just Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work yeah um for your supporters i would imagine that you know zakat probably qualifies for making contributions to Surya and Foundation, um, what have you been most proud of to share with your donors that you update uh, and either in Ramadan or at the end of the year, what are things that you usually love to share with your donors and what do you do to build relationships with your donors? We, um, we have two dinners a year. We have our Ramadan dinner where we like to share, you know, our numbers for the year and everything that's going on in the programs that we're running. Um, and I love to share how many people were we able to help keep housed. Mm-hmm. Um, our current number we're looking at this year is 100 uh, people we were able to keep housed um, that didn't have to enter our program. But I mean, and our program is our primary focus. Our, our apartments is our big, that's our big thing as well. And how many was I able to house this year? 28 people. That's 28 people that was housed and didn't have to stay sleep on the floor in a community shelter. Um, 
or didn't have to stay in maybe a toxic environment that wasn't safe for the children. Uh, stopping that trauma from forming and developing into further mental health issues. Um, we will be releasing our 2023 impact report in January. Um, anybody that wants to have access to that or look at that, they can check out our website and we'll be releasing that. And that'll have our full numbers for the year of 2023. That's great. Um, and then when you joined, did you join part-time as executive director or have you had different roles within the organization? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I started part-time as a case, uh, case manager okay. and I've grown with the foundation over the 10 years, um, to program manager and, you know, trying to make sure that our, all our clients have access, making those relationships with organizations for their programming. And then I've now been the executive director for one year. Okay, great. And then uh, you mentioned earlier to me, um, as we were preparing for this podcast, that you're also in your master's program. Can you share a little bit more about what you're working on? Sure. I'm uh, working on my master's degree of social work. Uh, I I mean, the goal has been to be able to offer more therapy services for our clients, that holistic approach of trying to help them in success. And so the social work degree is to be able to do that better. <laughs> uh, I'll be doing a training that will focus primarily on um, uh, trauma-focused therapy. Okay. And hopefully I should be graduating in May, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. Um, what advice would you have for people either entering into the nonprofit space or the social work space? Um, you know, you've been at this for quite over a decade and, and longer. Um, so what advice do you have to share to others? Self-care is important. And I know it sounds silly to say, it's kind of a cliche answer, but it really is important to maintain that drive and motivation to continue doing this work. And we enter this because of it's in our hearts, um, the love of people, wanting to protect and help people. But if we don't practice self-care, if we don't take care of ourselves and our boundaries, we can get burnt out. And then the help that we're getting, giving to people is not the help that they need. Um, and it can create more issues. So definitely entering the nonprofit world, be sure that you're maintaining your self-care, keeping your boundaries and keeping at the forefront, the heart of why you joined. Yeah. Um, what have been some of those ways that you have, been able to keep that centered um, and put that into practice because oftentimes like you know I, I know that I can give great advice to other people but I often don't you know do it myself and you know yeah. they say even dentists that tell you to floss you know every day and brush your teeth every day like do what they tell you don't do what they do kind of thing oh um, yeah <laughs> so what are some ways in which you've been able to um heed your own advice as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's different levels on a daily basis. Sometimes it's walking outside and just being outside. Maybe take your shoes off, walk in the grass a little bit. I've been known to do that, especially on a phone call that may be a little bit of a stressful phone call. So step outside and walk in the grass while you're on that phone call if you need to. Um, making sure that you schedule time off and take your vacations. Uh, you know, we have a culture of, I work all the time. I work when I'm sick and I don't take my vacations, but you need those vacations. You need that time. Um, so I, I make sure to take off a week off in the winter and a week off in the summer 
and camping trips with my husband and my children. That's my favorite. Nice. Um, are these, I mean, I love camping. Absolutely. Um, I don't think I've stayed in Oklahoma before. Um, what are some of like nature wise or camping wise? Um, what are some of the great things to do in Oklahoma? Oh, there's some beautiful areas. Highly recommend. We have the, uh, Alabaster Caverns. It's kind of uh, in West Oklahoma. And that was, we went during spring break and it mm -hmm. was one of the most amazing experiences because there were bats in the cave. I don't know if you're uncomfortable with bats, maybe not a good place <laughs> to go, but my children were just fascinated because the bats were still asleep mm. and they were just hanging and you're just right there and you can look up and see them. Um, there's little places, there's the salt plains and you can actually dig for little salt crystals that was a fun experience. If you do decide to do something like that, be sure you take sunblock because you're out in a, it's the weirdest thing to explain, but it's just like a flat plains. It's dirt and you're mm -hmm. digging down in there. Water, sand is everywhere, but it, they're little cute, just little salt crystals. Um, uh, there's so many, Oklahoma's amazing because you can go from one area that's a kind of a deserty type area. And then when you get to more Eastern Oklahoma, you have the trees and I, you know, we're not known for our beautiful clear lakes, but they're the swimming in the lakes is also, it's fun too. Fair. Nice. Um, well, hopefully, um, you know, that self-care is um, recharging uh, for you as you do this important work. Uh, and what would you say um, as a executive director um has been your biggest blessing and biggest challenge our biggest blessing is the community that supports us mm -hmm. we could not exist without them they make everything and they're a loving giving community um I, we've been successful for as many years as we have because of that community mm -hmm. um and probably that's you know, uh, we're a nonprofit and it's difficult to make sure that we're going to be able to exist from year to year and making sure, sure that we are getting that funding to exist from year to year. And that's one of the things we're looking at is uh, our apartments that we built and our office that we built. It's getting to the point where, you know, we're having to think about maintenance and sure. making sure that the buildings are going to be in good condition for it, it can be that wonderful. I, you know, I think you asked me this earlier and I didn't answer, you know, the biggest impactful thing that I get to experience blessing that I get to experience with my clients is when I walk them into one of those apartments. Mm. We are volunteers and our donors have those apartments set up as if you are walking into your own home. Yeah. Um, we'll have it set up, you know, dishes, pots and pans, couches, beds, everything is just set up so that they can go in and look around and I'm home while they, and they, they have that loving feeling while they're there and while they get to stay there. And so we need to maintain that though. We don't want to lose it. So those apartments need painted. They need sure. um, regular maintenance on the, we had an issue with our toilets. Apparently they were new builds, but all every single toilet in every single building had a little small leak, oh, but wow. it took our water bill from between 300 and 400 to between 600 and 800. That's a big difference. And so we had to hurry up and get maintenance and come and figure out, you know, what is this issue? Well, how did our water bill jump from 
300 to 400 to almost $800. So that's the difficult thing is just making sure that we're able to give that service to everybody that seeks our help. Great. Um, Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to share more on or anything that you remember that you want to share now? (laughs) Well, there's so much. Um, But no, I think, I mean, that's everything, you know, I, no, I can't think of anything else specifically. I love the work I do. I love the people I get to impact and help on their journey. Um, Children, I mean, most of our people that come into our apartment, they're bringing children with them and making Mm -hmm. sure that those children aren't, they're able to get the help that they need and the support that they need. And they don't feel like they're missing out on what other children are getting. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. this is just a temporary step on their journey and um, we're able to give them all that help. And so, I mean, that's really the biggest thing. Good. And, you know, I think um, as you started out sharing, like you're able to help people that you almost feel you could have needed, you know, Um, and hopefully you're creating stronger childhood, stronger families, um, and providing people with um, a better opportunity. Um, And it's thanks to people like yourself and the organization, Surya Ann Foundation, um, that are able to curate these new experiences for these families that uh, are finding themselves in these challenging times. Um, So first and foremost, again, just like thank you for taking the time to share more about your journey uh, and the work that you do. Uh, and I hope that people will check out Surya and Foundation online and learn more about the work uh, and whether, you know, I, I think that people should be supporting wonderful organizations all around the country, not just in their backyard. Um, so if somebody is listening to this and interested in the work that you're doing, I would hope that they learn more and reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, Well, again, you know, I really appreciate the time that we've had to connect and share a little bit more about uh, your work. uh, And thank you for joining our podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course.